In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. If we read through the book of Acts, we might notice that fully half of that book is devoted to Paul's missionary journeys. <clears throat> On his second missionary journey, Paul and Silas leave, uh, leave Antioch. Paul and Silas, Paul wants to go back to the churches that he had established during his first missionary journey and visit them again. So they make their way through what we now know as Turkey. And they finally end up at Troas on the Aegean Sea. Troas not far from the site of the ancient Troy that we read about in Homer. They cross the Aegean Sea to Macedonia to Philippi. And then from Philippi, they go on to Thessalonica. And Paul goes into the synagogue there, three Sabbaths in a row, and teaches about Jesus. Uh, Luke, who wrote, who wrote Acts, Luke, the same guy that wrote the, the Gospel. Uh, Luke says that Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Jesus is the Christ. Well, in Thessalonica, a few believed, but most didn't. And... Uh, but most uh, eventually formed a mob and put the whole city in an uproar against Paul and Silas. So Paul and Silas left, and they went to the neighboring town of Berea. And he went to the synagogue again, and he taught. But this time it was different. Uh, Paul, or rather Luke, gives us, uh, gives us what happened. He says, now these, talking about the Bereans, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now, Luke's reaction to, to, to what happened in Berea kind of intrigues me. You, you would think that, that Luke's reaction when he heard that the Bereans searched the Scriptures so that they might see whether what Paul was saying was true, you'd think he'd say, what's wrong with you people? This is Paul the Apostle. He's the one that had the Damascus vision. He's the one that's been hand-picked to take the Gospel of Jesus to the, to the Gentiles. What do you mean questioning Paul? Going back and checking the sources to make sure he's telling the truth. I mean, I mean, after all, it's, it's Paul. Don't you know? He's going to write half the books of the New Testament. No, that's not what Luke said. Luke called them noble for checking for themselves what Paul was saying. You've heard me talk about my father. My father taught me about business and about contracts, all kinds of contracts, leases, financial contracts, mortgages, sales contracts. One of the things that my father taught me, he would say, he said to me, always know for yourself. Never take the other man's word for it. Now, it's not that the other man might cheat you, but he might make an honest mistake. And then again, he might also try to cheat you. I had a friend that complained to me, oh, this was back in the 1980s, complained to me that his, his mortgage on his house had gone up dramatically. And I said, gone up? How's that? 
Well, turns out, turns out I had an adjustable rate mortgage, which was kind of popular back then. He said, I didn't know it. When I bought the house, they told me it was a fixed rate mortgage. And I said, Brian, you didn't read the contract? And he said, well, no. And I said, you should have read the contract. Well, I wouldn't have understood. And I said, Brian, you're smarter than I You have a doctor's degree. You can read. If you don't understand enough in something, you're surely smart enough to know to ask questions. I really felt kind of bad about it afterwards that I didn't send, show, send, show more sympathy. But, but Brian had broken my father's rule. Know for yourself. It's our responsibility to judge the truth of what we are told and what we hear in our daily lives, also in our spiritual lives. And the New Testament attests to that over and over. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let Paul here is, is, is talking to the church in Corinth, which is kind of a troubled church, a lot of disorder. And he was trying to tell them how to go about their worship service, that it would be orderly. And one of the things he tells them, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, he said, Paul says, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. And in 1 John 4.1, Believe, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Luke said that the Bereans were more noble for confirming what they had heard and confirming that Paul was telling them the truth. And so they searched the scriptures. You know what? I kind of hear my father's admonition and all that. Know for yourselves. Now, the scriptures that the Bereans would have been searching, of course, would have been the Old Testament. Uh, Paul hadn't written any of his letters yet. And the Gospels were several decades away from being written. But we have both the Old Testament and the New Testament for our scriptures. The canon of the uh, New Testament wouldn't be officially established for several centuries. But very early, very early in the life of the church, the church used the letters of Paul and later the Gospels as scriptures. The very early fathers, the earliest fathers, in fact, quote the scriptures, refer to the scriptures. Fathers like Irenaeus in the, in the second century Clement of Alexandria in the late 2nd century into the 3rd century in Tertullian. And I'm convinced uh, reading the text, reading the Bible, that Paul himself I think realized that what he was writing was Scripture. In his letter to the Corinthian church, the first letter, that troubled church that had all kinds of problems, so all the way through the letter, he was giving them advice on what to do and what not to do. In some places, Paul says, now, this isn't of the Lord. This is, this is me. This is what I'm saying. But I think I'm telling you right. But in a lot of other places, he would say, this isn't me. This is the Lord. I think he knew. Scripture. 
At the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul says, now, after you've read my letter, be sure that Laodicea, a neighboring town, Laodicea, and the church of Laodicea, read this letter. And for your part, you be sure and read the letter that I'm going to be sending to Laodicea. Now, if you read the New Testament, you may not find a book called Laodiceans. In the book of Revelation, the first uh, couple of three chapters, there are addresses to seven churches in Asia. Uh, Jesus addresses these churches. He finds good and bad things about all the churches except Laodicea. He doesn't have much to good to say. He doesn't have anything good to say about Laodicea. He said, he says, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot, but you're just lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now the translators try to be a little more delicate with this. Actually, the Greek word means vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Laodiceans, they were so lukewarm, they even lost their liberty. <clears throat> Paul expected, I think, his letters to be copied, <coughs> to be shared, and so they were from the very earliest times. Paul said several times in his letter, follow the tradition that you received from me, whether by word of mouth or by the letter from us. And they were carefully preserved. I uh, went to a religious meeting oh, a long time ago. It, it, was, it was a meeting of, interreligious meeting of, of Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Now I know it sounds kind of like going to a hockey match. You never know when a fight might break out. Everybody's well behaved. Uh, the, the meeting, the gathering took place in the mosque over uh, on the west side of town, kind of near behind Central Market over there. Muslims were very, uh, very hospitable, cooked all sorts of wonderful things to eat. The uh, imam of the, of the mosque gave the major presentation. And in his major presentation, he, uh, he said several times, over and over in fact, we Muslims believe in the gospel. Christian Gospels. We believe in the Christian Gospels. Well, I was kind of puzzled. And when it came time for answers and questions, questions and answers, I raised my hand. I said, I'm a little bit, I'm a little, I, I'm a little bit puzzled here. You, you say that Muslims believe in our Christian Gospels, but over and over again, especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus professes to be God. And I said, I'm pretty sure you don't believe in that. His answer was, he kind of stood up to his full height and he said, well, that's because you Christians have corrupted your scriptures. Of course, he was wrong, as they are about most things. In fact, if you want to see Satan working overtime, all you have to do is read the Quran. There is no other ancient book that is as well documented as the New Testament. Literally thousands and thousands of manuscripts that date back, date back, some of them date back to the second century. And, and from the fourth century, 
we have manuscripts that contain the entire New Testament. <clears throat> From the very beginning, the New Testament writings were immensely important to the church. And they are with us today, too. The epistle text this morning that, that was read from 1 John, one, one, one verse of that really struck me. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. The Scriptures, the Scriptures are the witness of God to us today. It's the closest thing that we have to being able to hear the Word of God for our lives. Now, the Scriptures are the legitimate object of study, but the Scriptures are more than just an academic activity. The Scriptures also have a prayer value to them. Now, we prayed mountains this morning. Most of what we prayed was right out of the Psalms. Right out of the Psalms. So we're, we're accustomed to the Psalms being prayer. But also, the rest of the Bible's prayer as well. And a, vehicle, and a vehicle for our prayer. What is prayer? Communi commun communication with God. Uh, communion with God. And conversations, at least if they're any good, conversations are always two-way activities. We talk to God God also talks to us. I've heard it said that, that real prayer, real prayer doesn't begin until we run out of things to say. And one God, and one way God talks to us is through the prayerful reading of His Word, the Bible. Through that Word, God speaks to our souls. Sometimes in ways we don't understand. Sometimes it happens in ways that we don't even know that it's happening. But through the Scriptures, if we prayerfully meditate on the Scriptures and read the Scriptures, God will be acting on our souls. When we read the Word, we open ourselves to it. When we read the Word, we let the Word of God begin acting in our lives, acting in our in our very core beings. See, the word is not the word of God is not so much a book of doctrine. It's a book of relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. The Bereans were noble. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily. That same nobility is available to us today, you know. When we read and study and meditate on the Scriptures, we open ourselves to God for God to pour into us what He would give to us. And when we open ourselves to God through His Word, we open ourselves to that same nobility that the Bereans had. A nobility that can only come from God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.